Welcome, everybody. We have a special show with an individual who uh, really is one of the pioneers of something we love to promote on this show, and that is uh, entheogens, the animist life, and connecting with the spirits and the plants. As many of you know, I am a uh, uh, an ayahuasca, I don't know, taker, but uh, I am part of the Santo Daime Church. My uncle is the head of the Santo Daime Church in Portugal. So this is the kind of topic we want to uh, always promote and we feel it really helps. It's something humanity needs, desperately need us to say. So with us, we have the honor and the pleasure of being joined by Michael Stewart Ani. Michael, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Miguel. Pleasure is all ours, and always a pleasure. We've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I'm just fine this morning. Looking forward to hearing about the adventures in the otherworldly realms. It's a much better world, I think. But uh, So, oh, Michael, so. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into these topics, into this uh, experiential life. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because people have asked me that obviously a lot. And it really was by odd happenstances that um that I got to that place. I really, you know, you gotta remember my experience were happening starting in the middle 60s. So it was much more innocent those days. There was no reference really whatsoever. That's why it's so hard to capture that because you can't believe how innocent people were about it because no one had a reference in the Western world. Of course, in the indigenous world, there was much reference, but that wasn't released. So um, what happened with me was I had some family catastrophes that really shook up my life, deaths of siblings and people very close to me. And I left for uh, Mexico underaged, um, but I spoke Spanish. I did speak Mexican Spanish, which was awakening at the time. It took a little time to figure that one out. Um, and um, and in Mexico, I wandered off the path. At the time down there, there really wasn't a um, a grapevine of Westerners coming down. There was really, you know, in Oaxaca where I was. There were basically people riding around those days, believe it or not, on horses and carts in the Zocalo. <laughs> That's how different it was from now. And I just went further off the path, ended up on a coffee plantation, a very remote area, and a cattle ranch. Um, two things I knew how to work. And I realized that the people on the ranch had ideas I didn't go along with, and yet there were many indigenous people in the mountains and in the rainforest that I did, and I started getting close to with them, and I realized there was a hidden world out there, and very different from what people portray today. I always hear people go, oh, we went from France, and we went to the jungle, and in two weeks we found the masters of the universe, and now they're with us at the UN. It is Well, I know these people very well, and they will lie to you about everything for two, three years. <laughs> Unless you spend real time there, they're not telling you anything. So these people who tell you that, what I say is, yes, you brought them to the States because they had passports and visas. They were brought up at the missions. That's why they spoke Portuguese or Spanish. You know, my situation was very different. I went into a culture where probably there were three people on the whole mountain that could speak Spanish, wow. never mind anything else. So I had to really enter into their world. And after a while, everybody kind of lied to me about everything for two years. I was taking care of an old Native woman in her hundreds, Juanita. And we kind of had a deal. I would be her burro and work for her. And she'd show me how to survive better. And it wasn't until her dying that things changed. When she started to die and the Masatec belief system People try to come to see you before you die as opposed to awake after you die. And when the people came and saw she chose to die in the hut with me, that's what really opened the door. Mm. And after that, then medicine people came to me, what they called and said, you know, there's other things going on out here you may not know about. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very much interested. And that's kind of how the door opened 
was by that process. And interesting enough, once again, very different than we've all been on this path of since Carlos Castaneda's made the Don Juan books and this whole concept of you become an apprentice and there's a a practitioner shaman, whatever you want to say, teaching you. This does not exist in Mesoamerica at all whatsoever. That's completely contrived. The truth is you have to be chosen by a spirit, a place, a plan to think, and you have a direct relationship with that thing. And the elders, they'll go, oh, a little more on this path. This is what happened to me when I got in it. <laughs> they really let you deal with that thing directly and how people will say, well, then you can just new age, make up everything. But the interesting part is if you walk down that path, everybody has the same road signs. Everybody has the same situation, personal, but same. So they can immediately tell if you really are there or you're just faking it. And an interesting thing that happened with me one time was two deep forest indigenous people came to my place and I could see they could figure out who or what I was doing there. And I made the sound of what happens when you pass through the realm. They called the hummingbird wing and they right away smiled. And then I sang the song of Dishitu and they're like, how does he know that song? That's the same exact song we know. So although there's many people and, Bisak and um and in different places that are selling fantasies, the people who really know, they really know. Amazing. Yes, I agreed a hundred percent to what I had to learn is that the plant dictates the message, and my <laughs> ego doesn't agree, but it sent me to some strange places. Sometimes I think I'm sort of fate's fate's fool, but I'm not going to go against the message of the plant when I do the ayahuasca, the daime, as we call it. And your adventures went to Mexico to the Amazon, too, right? You've become uh, an activist for indigenous people and yeah, the I, treasures, their treasures. That, no, that is not. I am not an activist for any people. I belong to my own ethnic group. And I'm a true believer, even with the ghost dance, that it's... We're all in trouble on the same planet. So for me to go, oh, well, me and Vance are invited, but Miguel's not invited because <laughs> he wears green T-shirts or whatever. <laughs> Big mistake. We're all in this together. We got something that has to bring us all together for the environment, everything, or we're going to lose, and we're going to lose ourselves. And all. so I was never... Um, a separatist in this. I always believe that it really is something that has to bring people together. And that's probably my big battle cry is not activism. I, If I was going to put a label on me, I'm more of an environmentalist. And what I followed with the tribes, and I, I'm one of the few people left on earth that has actually lived with uncontacted tribes. Maybe the last one alive. I'm not sure about that or not, but one of the few. And what I found was that um, it, it isn't so much I'm fighting for people. I believe I happen to go to the same well, the same source, the same spring, got a common knowledge, and I interpreted it in my way. They had their tribal way and their personal way to interpret. So my bond really with the indigenous people is I believe we're very deep into the same fight together to save our niche in mother nature and return to some balance with her instead of the parasite that's really bothering her and she's showing she's angry at well not angry that she can't she's had enough of it it's just not working for her so i'm not an activist i would say i'm more of an environmentalist that realizes that 500 or so years ago when the europeans came to the new world and the indigenous people were, quote, hugging trees and talking to plants. And the Europeans said, what a bunch of morons. Let's make them slaves and steal everything they have. Big mistake. Very short-term ga game. They played a game that they could rape and steal and get away with murder for a couple hundred years. And look where, and how's that working out for us? Not very well. 
So that's my bond. I realized from day one, the indigenous people who were portrayed as ignorant, superstitious, and dumb were actually very intelligent, highly aware, and in tuned. Oh, agreed 100%. And, uh, and some of, again, I tell the audience, go to uh, Michael's website and YouTube, just incredible stories after stories and a lot of beauty and inspiration and tragedy, the whole, the human condition and our play with the gods and the spirits. But some of the rituals are amazing. Like you were talking about the, you're doing the pipe with the DMT and it would shoot you and you would just like throw, I mean, throw up immediately. It's just ritual after ritual and how these people welcome them into, into their culture, welcome you into their culture. Well, that was a funny dance, too. Nothing has been the way people would think. I mean, actuality, how I got permission, There's there was a group of people they called the Orinoco Wild Bunch, and we were the, and I was the youngest of the group, and we were the last people, basically, that could, got pre- presidential permission directly from presidents of countries to be with uncontacted tribes. The idea, like even with the gold miners, with Java Zanato, oh, they're just poor people that wandered out there. I lived a lot of my life out there. You're not, I've gone out there in a boat. I've gone by foot. You're not bringing equipment out there unless you've got a big plane or a helicopter. You're not dragging it up that river like that. That ain't going to happen. That's just the story. So I was with really people who had nothing affecting whatsoever. Um, you know, a lot of times in movies like Back Robe, they like to portray that the medicine person, the practitioner, um, is a bit of a huckster and a trickster and uses the tricks, Miguel, to maybe get you more in touch with your hand. Not true. Those people have no idea of tricking you. They, a medicine person in their culture, is an entity of the swarm of the tribe. They are not a rock star. They have one of the hardest lives. They have one of the highest death rates. And really what makes them is every decision they make is for the complexity of the tribe, not themselves. In indigenous culture, that's the difference between a witch and a medicine person. A witch per se, a bruja, does it for themselves. They're out to, I want money. I want to be an opera singer. I want something... (laughs) The medicine person only goes, what's going to keep the tribe going? What's going to keep us fed? What's going to keep us healthy? That's their whole life, what they get consumed with. So for me, when I entered the world of plants, I had a very different experience. One, I was with people who the rituals, I mean, people all change. No one stays the same. But these were naked people that didn't have metal yet. So they, they had a lot of their essence left. So I got to learn the rituals. And what I learned was in their culture, let's say you break your bow and Vance breaks his pot. And you're like, God, I can't call bows or us on the web or some sporting goods store. You talk to your shupuri and you go, shupuri, how can I eat? You know, and your shupuri knows. And you're walking on the path and you made a beautiful pot because Miguel makes wonderful pots and you run in advance who just he's the best bow maker around and he just made a bow and by quote happenstance you get the bow he gets his pot now in our world in our paradigm in the west that doesn't really make sense but believe it or not there are other paradigms and when you live in their world it's all about that and all about your communication with the spirits so in the jungle tribes, and this goes for many tribes, but I experienced more in the jungle, there's something called the mawa. It's a way you present yourself because when you come to a village in the jungle, an unkind of village, they're standing there ready to kill you with drawn bows and clubs. They're not going, oh, come into our house. The name they have for you, foreigner and enemy, is the same word. What's a man doing here? Are you after women? Are you after hurting us? Are you bring- Why are you here? Right. And in the beginning, I was a good mimicker. I could mimic their ceremonies and all. And it gave them enjoyment because, as I've said, I said in the Times newspaper many years ago, the most common thing I've seen among all people is we're bored and want to be entertained. 
So at first I was entertaining to them. I, I did something they did in a way that was good enough that they got it, but also was somewhat humorous the way I pronounced stuff. They got enjoyed. Over time, I actually got where I could communicate with the Shibori. I could do it. And I became very well known for that. So my introduction actually to using the plants was when I would go to a new village and go through a Mawa, after that, I would have to go through a ceremony with the medicine practitioner to really then trust me because I was I was a medical outreach officer and these people were dying. There was epidemics, either there or coming. So I had to get a way to get them to not be, you know, chickens at a racetrack, you know, run all over the place with me. And when I got where I where they said, yes, now you are communicating with the Shibuti and the Hikara. Then I got their trust. And the only way I could do that was not just by taking the plants, but taking them in absolutely the proper way in ceremony. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm selling. I understand. I know some of the people from John Hopkins and all. And I understand they're doing a lot of work for helping people of trauma, of civilization, of civilization, fear of death, fear of cancer, um, you know, um, PTS, LSD, you know, all these problems people are suffering from. But what I keep saying is, as always, we forget the root, we forget the people. And if we don't use these plants as a way to rebuild our bridge with communication with nature and the elements, none of this other stuff matters because we're not going to be here. Yet the big media is all about pushing it for commercial pushing it for our rights to do what we want. And I'm not an anti-drug law guy because whether I agree with things or not, that does not work. We know that one 50 years ago that don't work. Making it illegal just makes the such compounds things. So I'm very much for it. But I'm me personally, what I have to offer is let's people try to use it as a way to build that bridge and not just be caught up in this endless self-help billion dollar industry. We've been sold. And for all the people I know who have been 25, 30 years on self-help, I don't think they're a day better than when I met them. I haven't seen any of that. It just seems like a bad Woody Allen movie, you know, <laughs> around and around in neurosis. Yeah. Or you know? Stuart Smalley or one of those guys. All yeah. that stuff. This is neurotic land, you know. And, oh, you know, my story I tell is I know many people like this because I get invited to these things. But in actuality, I've only twice in my life done plant ceremonies, not in a completely origin setting. And one time I did it, you know, with the, the big timers in and it was just comical to me because it had nothing to do with anything I knew. It was made up, as they said. You know, we have the right to make it up because we're white and we run the universe. I don't buy that. You know what I mean? So um, so that's kind of where I come from with it. And I'm very much about if I have a gift to give people, it's about the environment. It's about indigenous people being a key for all of our survival and these plants actually being created and ritually in the codex is very much explaining that they were given to us to use far in the future at the end of the fifth world when the first time human beings would destroy our own civilization if didn't check us. In the legend of the plume separate case or quarrel, that's very much what he was about. And in the legend, when the bat bites him on the penis and he bleeds blood and semen, that is the birth of the sacred mushroom. Well, Kevin, Kevin, Duras, uh, yeah, and you're right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you 100%. Again, I can read all the books, but I have experienced this and uh, I've had bad ayahuasca shamans, good ones. Again, I have been into it and I've learned that this is very necessary. Like, I think you hit it on the head. It's uh, the roots, our fear of death. How we've turned our back on the spirits, but our ancestors who are not dead, they're right behind us talking to us. How we are 
to connect with the universe and uh, and experience life as life should be. I mean, that's how it's helped me and to really go deep within myself and uh, sort of uh, take a seat back, let my ego take a seat back and let the universe take care of things. Is that, I mean, a commonality you see? Yeah, I do. The one thing, I'm a bit proactive, partly because of my life, mm-hmm. where um, I know in me too, you know, I left the country for decades, this country I was in for decades. And I you could say I took a seat back, like you're saying, to look at things. And I think that's part of the process. What my fear is, is one of me, one of the most neurotic parts of the New Age movement, the self-help thing. Because when I was a child and someone wanted a spiritual path, they'd go help in a leper colony. They'd help with orphan kids. Oh, no, I don't have time for that. I'm working on myself. You know, I've been to most of these towns, Mazunte and Pisac, and you just see these people wandering through the streets with this holier-than-thou look on them, and they're lost as as (laughs) you can be. You know, the story I always tell, I know so many people like this. They take ayahuasca in some kumbaya made-up religion on Friday. On Saturday, they believe they're a bodhisattva. On Sunday, they're sure they're enlightened, or the word I use, enlightened, enlightenment. Enlightened, I love it. There's a lot of enlightenment going on. You know, oh, yeah, well, I'm special, you know. Oh, we're the rich people who deserve, you know, the people at Maps once said to me, well, we deserve to make all the money because we've been the ones doing all the drugs for all these years. And I'm like, Gee, being a drug addict, should that make you a practitioner? No, that makes you someone who should get your own life right, in my opinion. <laughs> but that's what we're being sold. People, I, so what happens is by Monday, they're questioning. By Tuesday, they're slipping back. By Wednesday, they're going um, schizophrenic, manic depressive, back to their condition. Thursday comes around, they're absolutely suicidal. They take ayahuasca again. On Saturday, they're a bodhisattva again, and they'll go around and around in these circles for years. And I actually believe that is very bad for the human mind to do that. I'm, you know, I was a very, very close friend with Francis Huxley, who's who Aldous Huxley, his uncle, you know, Francis, my nephew, let's take some mescaline. Have you ever heard of that? And when Francis died, he decided to cut himself from the outside world except for me. And we stayed together and did ritual and we talked. And he pointed out to me the reason he walked away from all that. He said, because in 1937, my father and my uncle made a eugenics film, which the Nazis loved. And basically, if you listen to today, it's exactly what the, the apex of the psychedelic movement is selling us. Everybody should be nullified on some sort of microdose, like a babbling, smiling idiot walking around. And as Aldous Huxley said, only the white Anglo wealthy elite financially and academically should be able to take epic doses of these chemicals, which I really don't relate to at all um, because they have no spirit and he had no spirit And we're going to do that to eugenically raise the consciousness of all human beings, right? Well, isn't that exactly what we're being sold now? And I think that's very dangerous. I'm a great believer. I've I've been taking these plants for 60 years. So I know something about them. And I'm very careful to this day. I'm extremely careful with them. They are amazing. And by being amazing, they're also extremely dangerous. And somebody who's just taken a lot of drugs and walks around in silly outfits on stages, I don't feel accredits them as a shaman, which is my background, my ethnic background, or and even that shamanism in this world is ridiculous because all the stars and all the plants are in a different position where shamanism was created. So it's just this endless, let's make it up as we go along. And for me, one of the cutest parts of that is 
I learned through the tribe spending many years, I have over 12 years of deep bush time. That's 12 years and hours and days way out there. That's a lot. And, um, and what I've really come away with it from is that um, it's really key that people have actual understanding, which means this. The plants have a language. They have, Dishitu has a language. Ayahuasca has a language. It take. I'm a linguist guy. I go to tribes and pick up and forget languages weekly, right? It's kind of my ability why I was able to do what I do. To learn Dishitu's language took me almost 30 years. Oh. And I'm good at this stuff. Ayahuasca, a little bit less, but a lot of years it took and so when you learn the languages, you realize singing Kenny Loggins songs are going kumbaya, kumbaya, and all that stuff. The plants don't understand that. Their world's all tonal. So that's why I had a person from MAPS say to me, oh, well, you live with the Lakota when you're young lot, so you just sing Lakota songs, big deal. And I said to her, no, I'm singing in Yanomami. <laughs> that they don't realize if you go to the medicine people of the different tribes, it's the Americas. It's the same belief system everywhere. The same system from the Amazon to Alaska. The same system. Slightly changed. I live in New Mexico. I have a ranch in New Mexico. And many of the legends of here, La Llorona, Osoan, these are all legends of Oaxaca. But they've changed them slightly. Here, Yorona wears a white wedding dress and has no feet. In Oaxaca, she wears a weepil and has deer hoofs. Same story, though. So what I'm saying is, what I learned is, if you are going to do a ceremony, you need to learn the tone of the hata You got to learn the tones. Singing benga con amigo is not going to do it, right? And so they're just, what they're doing is giving a form of entertainment to their friends, making some money, and um, and falsely believing they're communicating with a Japanese person and they don't speak Japanese. You know what I mean? It's, it's comical, but because we're in such a dangerous time right now with the environment, I don't have, I love, I love all different kinds of people. I love the humor of myself included, the silliness and all the things, but we're in a very dangerous moment right now. And I really believe these plants are key to our survival. Thank you, Thunder. And, um, and that's what I'm talking about. There's many people who can say, hey, it's great to take it at festivals and dance around in ecstatic dance. That's the other thing with me that's cute. People go, well, the ghost dance is an ecstatic dance. It's 100% the opposite by its very name. Ecstatic dance is you taking up pent up anxieties, feelings in yourself, aspirations, and opening enough to let them come out. The ghost dance literally is, as I've said to people all the time, I am not Arthur Murray. I do not teach you the steps to the mambo and you're going to mambo. No, <laughs> you need the ghost to lead this dance. What I can show over time, not quickly, is how you communicate with the ghost so they can show you the steps. I'm not a ghost yet. I'm not capable of that. Oh, wow. That's really well said. And I agree. I mean, uh, going back, uh, yeah, even Huxley himself said uh, an idiot doing acid is just an idiot on acid. It's not going to change. It starts with your soul, your intention and all that. There's no uh, silver bullet. And yeah, the idea of the, the me generation in the 60s and 70s is like, I'm going to find out my ego. And it just made everything uh, a lot more toxic, too. So uh yeah, well said on all accounts. Vince, what do you think, or do you have a question? Well, I'm sitting here dying to know what the experience of speaking with the plants is like, what they say, um, the things that... 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. They teach, um, and so I think this is an opportunity for me to hear a little bit about that. Great question, Vince. Um, the first thing about communicating with the plants is, I like to say it this way, um, the ritual begins long before you're sitting in front of an altar with an atheogen and pre-Columbian idols or whatever is going on. That's the ceremony. But the ritual begins long before that and ends long after that. And when you do these things in in these settings, you realize that day before, things are changing and lining up. The things you don't eat, where you're allowed to be, where you move to, all kind of bring you to that moment. And when you get to that moment and they speak, the first thing you've got to understand, and it's my other laugh about cultural Almost everyone I hear speak publicly, even the people who come from the Putumayano, who their grandfathers would not stand for their behavior for two seconds. They're selling ayahuasca in plastic soda bottles. My day, if you cooked ayahuasca in an aluminum pot or put it in a bottle, they would kill you dead on the spot. You know, so these people, oh, and then when I speak to these kids, they're like, well, the ayahuasca told us not to go by what our grandparents, we got a new thing. We play harmonica now with it. And I go, yeah, but you're wearing your grandfather's kushma. You're wearing his tribal necklace. You're wearing a headdress. You're trying to say I'm an image of the grandfather, but I don't believe anything the grandfather says. Well, I believe almost everything my grandfather told me, you know, that was my source. So when you talk to the plants, you got to first realize they're not Christian. All these ways we built, the mushrooms we use, the way we use the ayahuasca is in a very Christian way. Not to put it down, but it's not traditional. These plants, they're not Jesus and, oh, it's all about the peace. They're very wild. They're the essence of wild and free. And what makes these plants in the indigenous world what they are is each one of us has a Nagual animal. Um, the Lakota call it a Nagi, the Yanomami call it a Narishi, it's all the same thing. And um, and what it is, it's the animal that one, you can travel through the other world with. You could, in a bad way, a good way, you can travel into other people's dreams. Um, it is your animal essence. And certain plants, which I call talking plants, also have an animal essence. And specifically the animal essence of Dishito is the plume serpent itself, the most wild and free animal. So you're dealing with the essence of wild and free when you start with them. And what I learned was that in the beginning when I had some amazing experiences that I was actually really still talking to another voice in my head. It was another facet of me that it is. But I got to a point where by what was said to me, that it was because there's no way that I could add any of this knowledge and it all proved to be 100% true, that there was something else involved giving a knowledge that I had no way, it wasn't inside me. And that's another problem I have with the New Age version of this. It's about the chemical. 
circles. It's about us being the center. Well, of course you're going to say that because you're trying to make money off the chemicals. And if you say it's about the plants and the native people, then you'd feel like the jerk you are making money off them because that's really what you're trying to do. <laughs> and I don't believe in that. I think this is too sacred to play a money game with. Um, marijuana is different. Marijuana, you smoke a bag, you get another bag. This stuff changes the whole way you think when you take it. It's not a game. And the plants have very specific personalities. Now, I've heard many people claim who have done ayahuasca in different situations that the serpent comes to them and they see a serpent as a thing. I don't know of any Amazon culture except one that really relates to the anaconda. That really came out of the movie Emerald Forest, actually. Mm. People get a lot of references and make them into kind of reality. The way I learned 50 years ago what the animal of ayahuasca was is the black panther. The black jaguar is the animal of ayahuasca. And the snake of all these plants, it's, it's a funny biblical thing. Whenever you find the right Dishitu, which is very hard to find, it's not the, the, anything near, it's a true visionary thing. It's not a psychedelic like a Cubensis mushroom or the ones grown here in the States. Different thing. As the Indians would say, when I first went to the Masateka, and if you said the word Dishitu, it was grounds for death. It was so sacred. Um, and I found a field of just bags of San Isidro Cubensis mushrooms. And the people said to me, that's the mushroom San Isidro, the mushroom of the white man's farmer saint, because it grows only from Brahmin cow manure and sugar cane. And that came with the European. So in those days, I did not know one Masatec that would ever eat one. You go to Walla today, they're doing ceremonies and dancing and selling them and everyone's like, oh, she wore a, a brand new wee peel, so that makes her a true thing. It's all <laughs> cute to me. I've been around a long time, man. You know, so when the plants talk, they they carry an essence with them related to, to all the other things that live around them in the forest. So before I was ever allowed to take ayahuasca, I had to learn the inside name for the elbow of a certain bug. I had to learn these. So when I took the ayahuasca, it brought all that together. And I went, whoa, this all makes sense. So to take the plant without any things to tie it into its web, I'll call that a different experience. The other thing different is um, to native people, anything grown in a garden doesn't have a spirit does not have a um a, a a hikura spirit so um only the wild ones can actually do it and most of what we're getting in the states today is all fabricated in some form or not and to be fair if everybody went into the jungle or into the desert and picked the payoto or picked the ayahuasca or picked the mushrooms no one would have any left. We'd use them up right away. So I've come to believe that using them the way for science and the neurosis and trauma of civilization, yes, it's an it's a, it's a oracle. It's an amazing discovery. But that's not going to keep us alive. Knowing the plant language and the secrets they have to tell. And about Dishitu, I'll say this. Dishitu told me things. 50 years ago, that made no sense at all. And I will say, except for me personally in my personal life, every other thing I was told by Dishi 2 played out to the exact place, the exact name. I'm not talking, oh, I'm making a generalization. Oh, he said I'd see a horse. No, he said I'd see a horse that's purple with green eyes that could, you know, he made it very specific. And I think the plants have this ability through their mycelia to actually tap into the knowledge of all the plants. But because they have the gift of talking plants, they have a very special Nagual animal. They have literally bridged communication 
interspecies, in this case, to us human beings. Fascinating. But uh, Michael, so what advice would you give somebody who wants to go down that path to speak, uh, listen to the plants? Uh, Again, it it seems like it's such a labyrinth. Again, I was lucky because my uncle had spent time in the Amazons. He'd done the work for a while. So I knew he could be a good hierophant and teacher when it was when I was doing this ritual. But again, I've had other ones that weren't very good here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have for people that want to go down and find, again, just talk to, listen to the plant, not talk to the plant? My advice to people in general is that you have to have an intent and where that intent takes you. But I guess part of what I'm doing as a public service is saying, I'll be honest, I, I, just, I was down in Peru I don't know, three, four months ago, and I was in all those areas. Chitos I've known forever. I had a radio show there at one time. I know these places and people. I know people think they're getting help and all, and some people may be getting something. I don't know. I'm not personally that. But here's the big mistake to me. In our rock star me, me, me thing, everyone wants to be the practitioner, what they call the shaman. Um, no, to do that takes a lifetime dedication and coming and going, okay, I'm here for the weekend. It's my turn to become a shaman. Throw that garbage out. Be <laughs> you being you. This whole thing that you can take these plants and claim you're a worker, a practitioner in that field with your incredible minute, minimal knowledge to me, is utter arrogance and stupidity and just a silly enlightenment is all in it. I love it. Is what happened with the gurus when they came to the United States. People don't realize when most of those East Indian gurus came, they were brought here by the CIA to stop the radical movement after the murders at Kent State. It's Mm. exactly how Triumph Rinpoche Trumpa said it clearly, just like that, right? So, um, so it became who comes with a bigger jumbo jet? Who got the cocaine to pay for the jumbo jet? You know, <laughs> it went on and on. You know, who's celibate? But now that they turned 16, they're trying to screw every devotee they can find. You know, I mean, all this kind of wacky stuff. Go on your path. Don't go automatically. Oh, no, I'm making a medicine circle and I'm going to put a man bun on my head. You know, I went to a meeting of these groups. We I've been mentioning a little bit. And they had a young couple and a young man in his 20s stands up in his yoga pants and his man bun. And he goes, I am sacred and everything I do is sacred. I couldn't help myself. I said, who told you that? Your mommy? <laughs> They're like, how could he speak? I said, I can't sit for this. You know, something your mommy tells you to make you feel better. Oh, you came in last in the race, but I'm going to give you a trophy too. You're special, right? Um No, that doesn't make you anything. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. So what I'm saying to you is, yes, people should follow their path. There are ways to find it. Be true to the plants. The plants will teach you. If you know the plants, they won't tell you to go to one of these crazy things. They know they're dangerous, right? And and they will guide you. They, you know, for me, I've probably hunted in the Amazon hundreds of times in the middle of the night barefoot. How did I never get bit by a snake? I mean, weird things that you go, wow, someone was looking out for me. I truly believe that thing. And I truly believe we're at a time that people should, in a general way, such as yourself, you know, you came from a different time a little bit, but for the kids now, no, I'm I'm a great advocate. I'm not in an advocate of that crap being sold. Mix all these drugs together. Oh, our scientists are smart. They say take Prozac and Valium with your mescaline so it doesn't upset your stomach. And then you take LSD. Well, that's what they're actually, the biggest organizations out there, I'm not going to name, but the big ones, that's what they're selling. And that's what they do. And to me, that's complete goddamn malarkey. That's just people have taken too many drugs. They went from pot, to acid, to coke, to heroin, to MDA, to ecstasy. And this is just the latest thing for people in a whole lifetime of doing drugs. Me personally, people look at me and they think, 
when I don't do ceremony, I'll be honest, I smoke a little pot at night sometimes, and I drink really good mezcal, a shot at time. I don't do drugs. Never really did. I mean, I had moments in my life, but never in my wake, because in the jungle taught me, if I'm out there stoned, I'm going to fall off a log over a rail. I'm going to die. And so I said to survive in the world where these plants come from, you can't be a wackadoodle. So the people are going, yes, I can be a wackadoodle because my mommy told me it's cool. I don't buy that. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. I got to ask you this. Timothy Leary, thoughts? Oh, you're a CIA, right? No, I, I ain't going to say that. I knew Tim personally, have a great deal of love and respect from hated that Michael Pollan and those people who didn't know the man at all made up their silly thing on mm-hmm. him. But I'm going to give you a very funny Timothy Leary story, just part of my love for Tim. Sure. It was um, John Lilly's birthday party, right? And, you know, the master of ketamine. Used to shoot it every day, five times a day, and then wonder why he had migraine headaches. And we're in his bedroom, and at the time, John had pictures of centerfolds from Hustler magazines all over his walls, right? And it was me, Robin Wright, the actress, Ravia Lobos, the famous movie maker, Tim, and um, and um, John, and um, Huxley's second wife. And on the treadmill. And for me, it was kind of like an Alice in Wonderland thing with Robin being Alice with all these wackos. And um, <laughs> and I said to Tim, I said, you know, it's funny. I'm going to say something I never really did, which was, and I've known him a long time. I said, you know, you started in Mexico. You started with the mushrooms. You wrote um, the psychedelic, um, what's it called? His famous book that started the 60s. Um, Tune Out, was it? No, the psychedelic experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, why did you go to the East India thing with Baba Ramdam? Because I live in Mexico, and I see all these tourists coming in their East Indian garb and their stuff. And to me, Mexico has one of the richest cultures on earth. You're in Mexico. Absorb Mexico. Oh, no, we're we're enlightened. We're, no, you're not. You know, absorb what we got here. And I said, you know, Tim, why did you not continue on that path? And you went and you put on an East Indian shirt and bees with bomber rum raisin and did that stuff. And, and he said, well, first of all, I'm not an anthropologist. I came out of the Church of Chemistry. I truly believed, as was my ear. I don't believe that now, but then I believe chemicals could solve every problem on Earth. And that was a very common belief at that time. And he said, I really was interested in the chemicals. He says, you know, it's fascinating. Looking back now, I wish I did. Huxley, uh, um, John Lilly goes nuts. Miguel is an ape. He's like those people. They're mud people. They're stupid. It's all about the chemicals. And that's what we're being sold. These organizations love to have these T-shirts that have all the chemicals listed on them. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? If it's chemicals, they don't owe anything to the indigenous people. So in my mind, they're the same colonial scumbags they've always been. No, if these people did not preserve these beliefs for thousands of years, there's not one of those dodo birds wearing a mushroom on their head and all that would have a clue about this stuff. But they're too big a wieners to ever survive with these people. So they went there for a week, came up with the classic story. I was there for a week and the gods and guru picked me out and they sent me home with all the, isn't it amazing? No, you're full of shit. Shit ain't amazing. We all got it. You know? So I, you know, I just laugh at all of it, but why I'm laughing, I get back to, I truly believe if we have real communication, real rituals, and guess who's holding these rituals? The very last tribes on earth in the Javari Valley and in the Siapo Pudupotakal River Basin, this is the only places on earth where there's any slightest quantities of uncontacted tribes like I live with left. And these people know the unabashed use of these things and their things. And Jar Bolsonaro, 
backed by money from the United States and Canada outside of China and you know, all. And they're just murdering the it's it's almost a suicidal run. In my mind, they're killing off the gem that the gods gave us for our future survival is still there. How amazing can it be that after all that the world's gone through, the Stone Age, the rubber boom, the rocket age, the techno age, that there's still people that are truly the root of humanity with every bit the number of IQ points we got, and maybe more, right? To me, that's the secret fascinating. And they must be protected and coveted on every level. And all these people who I see walking around in their phony Indian suits and doing their little silly things and all, I've never seen one of them down there helping those people or in one way truly helping. No, they give money to big organizations so they can get in and make money with world rip you off life and all these ridiculous things. I've worked with the Nurtures Conservative World Wildlife. These people are the biggest destroyers of the environment you can get. They're not out for the people of the animals. They're out for their silly foundations. I, I'll say this. The one Francis Huxley was started, Survival International, they're not that. They're way more serious. Yeah, it's grim. It's a it's a cult of death. And even uh, Huxley in Brave New World, he sort of gives away the plan. Give us some these synthetic drugs and uh, destroy our psyche. Fragment us until they got their eugenics plan and everything is psychologically studied and we're just numbers. Uh, yeah cult of death and even something like yoga michael i i found out there's good evidence that yoga was created by westerners and then taken over by uh indian gurus who wanted to make a buck sell it right back to us oh it's, so, I was it's wonderful India. it's great i love that kind of fun i still do yoga it's like i don't care if, if the yeah, stretch works it works i don't care who created it absolutely but it, though you know it's that's a great example because you can take a word or a belief, you know, and say, well, that's what I'm doing. But no, maybe not that's what you're doing. And very much what happened was people in the 60s over there, a certain group of people over there, believe me, I met some people I believe were real gurus or whatever. They weren't taking jumbo jets to New York and L.A. They weren't <laughs> setting up multi-million dollar sex ashrams and all. They were hiding in some cave talking to a weasel. You know what I mean? They, you know, it just, it it becomes the show is much more what we're programmed to. And that's why I'm very afraid. One of the things I'm saying these days is I hold myself steady in the underground of these movements. What was maybe considered the underground, these big psychedelic seminars and all. I know these people. All they want is money, sex, and their stupid drugged out thing. They are not out. And, you know, they love to say stuff. Well, look at the audience. I see a couple brown faces. Yeah, you <laughs> plant them in there. I care about that silly shit. I want... People to save the people in the Davari. I want the Moscow Pira not to be murdered off now. No, in all my years, including all these environmental groups on the web now, I never seen them in the bush doing the real thing. I see them at hotels partying and doing what they do. And then taking the psychedelics and going, whoa, oh, I saw a snake. <laughs> oh, it's all about this. Most psychedelic, most a theogenic plants I have found, their, their Naguali is not a snake, but their keeper is. Whenever you find the true Dishitu, which is very hard, you got to find it in the dark by smelling. Um, there's always some heavy duty, um, you know, Shushupe, some Bushmaster there. Whenever I have found, now when you hunt for ayahuasca in the forest, you could be on one side of a river and you go, look at that vine. And they'll say to you, no, 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 it's got to be on this side and these plants got to be growing next to it. So it's got to be exact to do it. And the other part of the ritual is that I learned, and I will say I'm not as strict as I was when I was young because I lived in that world. I never left it. So it was doable. This way it'd kill me. 
But I used to literally fast for three days before I did any ceremony, went through all kinds of purges. And believe me, when you go in there, I see people all the time. Well, it doesn't hurt to have a chocolate chip cookie. It does. <laughs> it throws the whole thing off. So, you know, that's kind of, I guess, what I'm the voice of people. If we have a real serious problem with the environment, I really it's my stretch to say that I really think the plants are key in this. And they will talk to us, but people, you have to have the humility to know that people who, and including myself, who have spent now 60 years doing this, and I don't mean 60 years doing drugs, I mean, mostly what happened to me was, DC2 said to me very on, if you want to go into the secrets of our world, you got to pay. You ain't going for free because you're special and your mommy told you so. Que <laughs> cariñoso, you know? Um, no! I went and I fought epidemics for 14 years. I gave and I gave. And that's why I was could go. And people go, I go and speak in front of anthropologists. And there's always anthropologists. Young going, why you and not me? I said, no reason. Go to the jungle for 14 years. Catch spinal malaria and come back and still stand shoulder to shoulder. They'll probably look at you more or less like they look at me. But you're just sitting in your office at your university going, why not me? Well, ask your mommy once again, you know. <laughs> That's great. Well, let's uh, share some of your images that you sent on the video. Let me do, where are you? Okay, hold on a second. I will turn off. I'll turn off the sound. We interrupt this regularly scheduled heresy. And yes, it is me. During the summer, you've seen me on my Artemis walk when I'm doing these little uh, vlogs, if you would, or video content. But in the equinox season here, it's been very rainy. So, yeah, thought I'd do it back at the old studio. So as you can see, Michael is the OG when it comes to animism, shamanism, or healing entheogens, and his presentation is truly amazing, truly unique, as is the rest of our interview. We definitely need his gnosis more than ever. So for subs, you will be getting the rest of the interview, whether you're watching on video or listening on audio. You will get it all, whether it's Patreon, Rockfin, or behind the paywall. It's coming for you as soon as you're done with uh, this old Gen X face. For all non-subs, please support and help bring more of this high-octane psychedelic entheogenic gnosis. And as Gordon has said in his book, Animistic, and as well, Michael Tarnas and Michael here or Miguel has said, we need to change our minds, not just change our minds, but we need a full mental transformation. The old ways aren't working and we are completely disconnected from the greater reality. We are disconnected from the spirits and it's destroying our civilization and our very planet. We're stuck in this sort of colonizing mentality, this uh, linear thinking where if we just add a few things or subtract a few things or mess with the numbers here and there, it's going to fix things. And it's not. Quite the opposite. Even terms like uh, ecosystem, the environment, climate, those are colonizer terms from the 19th century and the 20th century, and they ain't working. We need to transform our minds. As a philosopher Owen Barfield said, and he was a contemporary and colleague with Tolkien, when humans created language, Reality changed immediately. How we saw the world, how we interacted with the world completely changed. So beyond a transformation, beyond getting out of colonizing ideas, we need to change our language. Changing our language, finding new ways to communicate will change our minds, transform our minds, and will give us new vistas on reality, reconnect us to the spirits. The great mystics 
never really created anything new. They were innovative. But the great mystics, what they did was try to give us a new language. Some of these include Carl Jung, Aleister Crowley, Token himself, uh, the many manifestations of Hermes across history. That's what they contributed to humanity. They gave us a new language and it just transformed our minds. It uh, transmuted alchemically the way we thought. So that's an important solution. And again, Michael will give us so much more in the rest of the interview. I don't want to take up more of your time, more of your chronos. So let us do the interview with Michael for you subs. And again, non-subs, please support. Keep the lights of the Pleroma on. Keep this heresy going because we need it more than ever. Thank you. 